hear rumors of war is January 24th, 2022. And this is exactly what it looks like. And like the woman said in Chaz when interviewed, it's just all about us having a good time. That's all. And it's done. See, while all of you are claiming there's lies here and lies there, These people are fighting. They were all together. Now what? We've all been lied to. Everything is not making sense. Mm. Land of Confusion was a song that I played again and again and again and again for that specific reason. You weren't the only one misled. You weren't the only one misinformed. Even the things that happen to the others where they're burning things, they're breaking things knowingly that they will not go to jail. They had that assurance. You would ensure that you had that assurance too if you were to go. They occupied a portion of a city and no one did anything. They tried, they actually infiltrated a police station. And no one did anything. They set justice buildings, federal buildings on fire. And nothing happened to them. They torched St. John's. They repainted roads. They were able to set fire to buildings to kill people. And they were being praised. They agitated those that were easily manipulated to commit violence for the appropriate fee, of course. And then while the right was eating itself alive, rhinos, demi-rhinos, demi-patriots and patriots, and then there's you and me standing on the outside saying, okay, Has everyone lost their mind? Everyone is running with crazy theories. Some may be true. Some are definitely false. And those that may be true 
are somewhat partially true. And so everyone is kept in this insane loop of not understanding what's happening, who's happening, what's going on. <sighs> it's Monday. It's the last action. Well, I mean, the 31st is still a Monday, so January isn't over till next Monday, but that's seven days. Poof. And we're already one month into the new year. And we have had a lot of things. Crazy happenings around the world, like I said, um, months and months and months ago and years ago. Hey, you know, nobody's talking about this region and we should talk about this region. <laughs> hey, weather wars. I say it, no one talks. Other people mention it and it's like, <gasps> yeah, because hurricanes take right turns. Remember how many times have I said that? And now you see that the, the, the one place when I first started my show that I focused on a lot is starting to become the epicenter of things. In the meantime, in the United States, we're finding CNN posting information that's actually true. Almost like we knew on November in 2020, on the day of those evidently fraudulent elections, what did I say? CNN is the one that's going to be telling you the truth now. And who's bringing you the most truth? CNN. While we were discussing, hey, you know, what's going on with this virus? We were talking about AIDS and hydroxychloroquine before that was even a topic. But instead of me doing it in a more timely fashion, because see, the thing is, no one believed that they were going to pull the trigger that early into 2020. The plan was that they wouldn't pull the trigger for 2020 until October of 2020. And therefore, it just started with the virus. Everyone goes and votes. And then they realize that the election machines haven't been certified since Trump took office. And therefore, he was stealing the elections. And therefore, they implement to you federalized elections with their own type of identification. But boy, boy, boy. Some really good person influenced <laughs> some idiot and boom, they pulled the trigger way too early. And see, as you sit back and watch it now in retrospect, it makes sense. Example, I've told you guys so many times that, you know, when money was located, to be found in the cartels, to be acting like the BCCI, right? Kind of like amalgamated bank, but HSBC was used for the big guys. What I did was I would go to lunch, usual lunch hangouts for interns or new hires of agencies. And I would strike up a conversation with people I knew were hired to do this audit from a leak that happened that was forced upon it. So as they auto audit themselves, and how do you find it? You find the one person that really wants to get back at them and to say, I'm a great spy. So you find all these interns that are telling you, yeah, I just kind of, oh, that's awesome. You know, I was once, you know, in the position of looking through this and I found this and you know how I found it like this. Suddenly all this fraud's coming out, cartel money movement, foreign government um, you know, uh, 
funding to politicians, slush funds, Chinese mafia, everything. All I had to do was have the right conversation with the right people that thought that they can get ahead. Well, kind of seems like someone may have been whispering to the other side, saying, uh-oh, I think President Trump must know about the EACs because he suddenly created the quorum. I don't think we have enough time. Don't worry. We'll stall within the EAC, but you guys have to pull the trigger on this pandemic a lot faster, please, because we've got to rig it too so we can make him look crazy. Sounds great. You see how it all fits in together? You see how it all fits in together? Not only were you able to see the plan of the left and right together, but you also saw the booby traps of betrayal to the president of the United States. Booby traps. Who was the one that accidentally, coincidentally found the booby traps? Oh, yeah, that's right. It was me. So uh, that's the funny thing. And see, when there's booby traps, there's people that pay a lot of money. A lot of money. Uh -uh -uh -uh. And now, as you can see, they're ramping up these insane allegations. Fake electors. We're going to have a secret grand jury and investigate why President Trump was forcing Georgia to find fraud. You know, but it's okay because the truth is coming and they know they can't avoid it. So here's how they're going to operate. The J6 committee now has revamped itself to election fraud committee. Now they're not asking questions about J6 people going in. They charged as many people as they wanted. They're putting them under torture right now. Torture right now, right? Not the ones that have a following, but those that don't. And we're all here just waiting when we can be doing something, using those pens, using those papers. So they're in panic. Stories are coming out, crazy-ass ones. So many of them. This guy and this guy. And then you start to see the connections from the peripheries. Ah, oh, there's that word again. There's that word where I would say, hey, President Trump, stop focusing on federal. Deal with your peripheries because you're going to get it from the peripheries. This is how they infiltrate. Betrayal highest form of betrayal. Betrayal is one of the pure qualities that um, actually insane people have. And uh, there's a lot of you out there that betrayed someone. I've betrayed someone. Do you know who I betrayed? Actually, I had someone in the car with me when I talked to them. When I was a kid, I really, really wanted to be in charge at a store for this um, blue turquoise stone. So basically, you're allowed to like, you know, dust it. You're allowed to do things. This is, this is like in Greece, right? When I'd go in the summer, I wanted to work at that place without getting paid, of course, so that I can dust it and, you know, be in charge of it. Like, oh, this, because it was some special turquoise stone and I wanted to be there. My friend, really good friend of mine, and we're besties. Like besties, like we call it, we can, somebody <laughs> who's a listener was actually in my presence when that person called me and said, why aren't you talking to me? 
you know, and we just started yapping, yapping, like nothing happened. Um, <laughs> that's because I didn't want to go into my drama. She just had babies. Um, but that person I betrayed at a young age where I sabotaged, she was my friend and I sabotaged her chance to be in charge of the stone because I was like, well, you live in France. I live, you know, in America and I live earlier than you. So it's not fair. Um, so I sabotaged her. I betray her. And the minute I betray her and I was like, oh my gosh. And the next day I was there with the stone, right. And I was dusting it off. It was like turquoise with like crystal in it or whatever. It was on the corner of where her uncle owned like a radio station. Um, I was like five minutes into it with all that pride and stuff. I was crying because I had done her wrong. And I went and I begged for her forgiveness. And, you know, she didn't even think much of it. For me, um, I thought of, you know, how um, she would have responded, how I would have responded if she did it to me. And, uh, you know, that is, um, and she, her name is a muse's name too. <laughs> and she's gorgeous too. Um, and she's smart. Um, but I learned, uh, at a young age, how betrayal feels not from being betrayed, but from actually committing the betrayal. And so betrayal comes in many shapes and sizes. You'll be like, all right, you were a little kid. What were you like 11? Yep. Around there. And you sabotaged her. How did you sabotage her? I told on her to her parents so she couldn't go. <laughs> <laughs> for something that we did together. Right. So that's what I did. I went and told on her parents cause I knew that they would punish her. Um, and that was it. You know, her mom was French, right. And so they were stricter and you know, that, that was it. Um, it, for that, you'd be like, okay, your kids, whatever. But here, when we talk betrayal, we're talking presidents, presidents, Judges, senators, people of the house, state legislators, mayors, council members, board of electors, your neighbor. This betrayal that we've had as a nation is an epidemic. Everyone is focused on themselves. How do I get ahead? How do I win? What do I get? How do I do this? And you know, when we think of it on a national scale, we realize that's considered treason. It is treason, not considered. It is treason. When you think of it, not directly to the whole nation, but a portion of the nation, it's still treason. And when your neighbor next to you decides to work against you, not just you, but the whole nation. That's also called treason. See, everybody has a price. I can't help to say, but for about 24 months, that was something that I always said. And then I just stopped repeating it again and again. Everybody pulls their pants down and everybody has a price. There's not one person right now listening to this as I speak, that doesn't have a price. Your child may be the price, 
right? That's non-negotiable when they threaten your kids, right? Your life for some of you, but it's like psh, psh, money, a house, your job. Everybody has a price. There's not one person that doesn't have a price. This is why they always come after people's kids first. That's why when they want to get you, that's where they go first. Your children. No one will allow anyone to do anything to their children. Everyone has a price. Some people have a, you know, a higher floor, right? <coughs> like, like <coughs> sure, take my job. I'm not bending the knee. Sure, I'm broke. Still not bending the knee. Sure, I won't eat. I'm still not bending the knee. Sure, this I'm not bending. But when it comes to kids, it's different. While everyone, uh, you know, I there's 22,000 people in the chat room, right? Not on the channel, but in the... Who's, what's that? Hold on a second, guys. That's, an, that's the bat phone. So... And it wasn't supposed to go off. Okay. Give me a second. I'm sorry about that. I think I'm going to do that. There we go. <sighs> Everyone has different levels. Excuse me for that interruption. Everyone has different levels of prices. Some people are so disgusting. They'll sell their mother for a dollar. Right? There's people out there that don't have the same morals you or I have. You know, there's people out there that have kids that they don't even talk to. Right. You know, there's people where, you know, their mom who gave birth to them died and nobody tells them that tells you the level of person that you're dealing with, with simple things like that. Right. And it's, 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 it's disheartening to see how these things occur. So let's, let's talk about a few things before we get into the topic of betrayal today. Did you know that today the FBI initiated a search. They raided the Center for COVID Control headquarters because apparently they made multi-million dollars through testing. The company itself was paid $124 million from the federal government for COVID testing. Pretty interesting. The lab is registered at the same address as the company that filed, that bought the tests in Rolling Meadows. In other words, the company that made the test sold the, the test to itself and made $124 million. So they raided the place in Illinois. Interesting. That's a very interesting happening today, considering this whole COVID business is completely falling apart, completely falling apart. Interesting, right? And now we have people within the State Department, for example. You know, now we have, okay, first of all, we have Tony Blinken running it. He shouldn't be running anything. The shit we have on him from Hunter Biden's laptop, he shouldn't be anywhere near any appointed position, right? But Ned Price, he has the job of Jen Psaki. Jen Psaki used to be the press spokesperson for the State Department, just so you know, uh, under Obama. So um, he actually said himself 
to reporters. Yeah, you know, I, I still don't understand how withdrawing troops from Afghanistan has uh, emboldened Putin to invade Ukraine, right? So they were having conversations right, during an interview, and it was the most bizarre answer back. It was as if he had no idea, and he's the spokesperson of the State Department. He said that, no, 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 it hasn't helped Russia get all tough on Ukraine. What it's done is it's strategically positioned the United States to leverage Russia, which that also doesn't make sense. So now we have elected officials literally talking nonsense. We're saying, oh, do my gosh. <clears throat> it's like that, that, that person that's like, oh, it's happening now. Oh, it's happening now. It's, it's happening now. Russia's going to invade Ukraine. Zelensky's like, um, what? Ooh, this is going to happen now. And then Angela Merkel signs a deal with Russia for, for Nord Stream 2. Yeah, you got to go back and listen to my shows about the pipelines. I already fucking told you everything you need to know. Everything you're seeing now play out, I talked about two years ago. But all those little bitches that run their red string thought they knew what they were talking about. I gave you the whole damn playbook two years ago about what's going in that zone right now. Right? We talked about the Nord Stream 2 pipeline. So we've got the U.S. saying, no, no, no. We just like toppled Afghanistan. Just like that, we fucked it up because it's going to help us with Russia. And that doesn't help Russia invade the Ukraine. Russia's invading the Ukraine. And then Europe's like, you better not because we're going to fight you. But in the, you know, they're like telling the world, oh, if Russia invades Ukraine, we're going to fight them, right? NATO, no. Nah. And then they go ahead behind Ukraine's back. They're like, yo, Ukraine totally got your back. And then they're signing deals with Russia for, for the pipeline up on the north. Do they think you're retarded? Like, how, how does that work? And then you've got, check this out, like in weather wars down in Turkey. Okay, so Turkey's getting it all, all right, guys? They got screwed with the, with the, with the oil things. They got screwed with the leases for the oil, right? Greece has been beefed up in military like crazy. The Balkans are reinforced like crazy. And President Trump placed that in place first in 2019. You should listen to those, those shows from, you know, two, three years ago where I told you so. And so now Turkey's t currency tanks. Turkey is the only one that funded Iran. So now Iran is desperate for money because Turkey has no money to give to Iran. And then Turkey has no money for itself. And then Russia <laughs> sold it as 400 anti-missiles, their own anti-missiles. And it's like, and they got F-15. It was the most bizarre shit ever. And then China's selling, buying all the drones from Turkey, but now they're building their own, so they're not buying any from Turkey. Russia's building up in Syria. Now Turkey has a lot of snow. Can you see the writing on the wall? You don't have to be a psychic or an alien or a time traveler to be able to see that. It's pretty simple. So while they're giving you rumors of other wars, you have to remember again, take a step back. Look at a damn map. Turkey joins Asia Europe and Africa, those choo-choo trains from China to England and from England to Africa that go through Israel and Egypt. And what was that? Oh, yeah, that's right. Turkey. 
So now they're under weather wars with some crazy ass snow. And you're just like, mm, geographically, that doesn't make sense. Like Greece gets snow, which is right by Turkey, but very far north, like Albania north, like Romania north, like in the mountains. And that's like a dusting. Yeah, the mountaintops will get a lot, but not on the ground. But now animals being frozen in motion, totally normal, totally normal. And the fact that, you know, it's totally normal. And the fact that Turkey has all the pipeline switches, they're the only ones that were pushing it on and their gas. But okay, I digress. You know, obviously. So we have that going on, right? Then we have this bizarre, most bizarre. <laughs> it's just. Uh. So Burkina Faso it used to be called Upper Volta. Upper Volta was actually taken down and destroyed right after they, you know, the, the CIA went into Iran and installed Khomeini. Uh, Peter Strzok's dad and Barack Hussein Obama's mom, alleged mom, Stanley Ann Dunham, they went and destroyed <clears throat> Upper Volta. Well, here's the weird thing. The military in Burkina Faso announced that it has seized power in a coup. Apparently, the government and the parliament in Burkina Faso, which, by the way, was also the location to which Ilhan Omar signed her divorce decree when she divorced her, her, her husband, brother, right? So, um, so now we have Burkina Faso, with no government, no parliament, and it's been taken over by their military. And it, and this happens, right, a day after the military in Burkina Faso seized barracks and there was a lot of shooting in the capital, like a lot of gunfire. Tons of it. So what happened was the military was complaining to the government. They were like, yo, listen, you're not giving us enough money to fight off these ISIS cells. You're not doing your job. Who's fucking paying you? Because there's people that are radical Islamists, which is bullshit, by the way. And they're, you know, literally <laughs> killing all of us. This is the, this is the official story. <laughs> okay. This is what they're telling the people. So we, Burkina Faso, that are majority it's Muslims and Christian, but we share, but it's majority Muslim, right? <laughs> we have crazy ISIS people and you're not doing enough to fund the military to fight them off. So, <laughs> so they decide to go into the capital last night, the, the military of Burkina Faso and shoot it up, shoot up Congress, the presidential, everything. And now it's like, look at me. I'm the captain now. That's what happened. That's what happened. So we've got this whole Turkey, Ukraine, Russia debacle. Then we've got Africa on literally like the government is gone. And it's like, all right. Okay. So worldwide, we have a lot of everything going on. 
I mean, there's so much more that we could talk about. Like, what else do we talk about? Uh, let's see. Um, let me think. Let me think. We have, um, I should go into uh, the the UN, but I won't. Oh, another thing that was really weird. Uh, Saudi King Solomon gets gets on the horn and starts talking to South Sudan's president. Um, who, by the way, I just want to tell you, um, they don't really get along. And so that was really weird, right? Uh, really, really weird because I, I, I would urge you guys to look up, uh, South Sudan's foreign minister. So a couple of weeks ago, I posted a picture with someone that I, I have a friendship with, not a working relationship, just a friendship with. Um, obviously, we talk about everything, though. Uh, Patrick Byrne. And you saw that he looked gigantic. Reason is, you should see what a giant the South Sudanese foreign minister is. Um, there's tons of pictures out there. You should see it. In addition... In addition, right, aside from this weird communication, right, and the thing is, on the news, what they talked about, the Saudis just announced, we're having communications sent to us directly from South Sudan. Oh, what? That's weird. At the same time, right? The Houthis are, you know, on the rise. We got shit going on in Yemen like crazy, right? And um, uh, we have Saudi Arabia, right, um, saying that um, the Houthis are um, are attacking Yemen against, you know, the Saudi Kingdom and the UAE. And, you know, the Houthis are backed by Iran. Now, remember this. Iran was depending on Turkey for money all this time. Turkey's national bank was actually the bank of Iran, right? And they had struck a deal. And I've talked about this before, okay? I've talked about this before. So the question that you should be asking yourself is, if the Houthis are backed by Iran and the Houthis are attacking Saudi Arabia and the UAE soldiers in Yemen, right? Um, that's pretty interesting, right? Because, uh, you know, they don't want terrorism, but the Houthis have now decided to expand their terroristic activities because Iran is supposedly thumping it. So the question is, so we've got Saudi Arabians and, um, uh, kingdom of the United Emirates, right? So let's just say all the, 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 the snobby Arabs, okay? They're all in Yemen, supposedly helping the Yemenis, right? And then the Houthis are starting to attack, and they actually uh, did an attack that, mind you, mind you, killed two foreigners. <laughs> Who did they kill? Two foreigners, right? So foreigner would be a non-Arab. So what kind of non-Arab would be in... Uh, Yemen, right? And getting killed. It's really weird because the UN Security Council has um, demanded 
that this end. It's like, um, uh-oh, the UN just reared its head. Meaning, you want to know how the Houthis are being funded? Oh, that's right. It's the UN. So the news and the stories are being funded by the UN. So the question is, one, who's funding it? More likely the UN, since they're chiming in, of course. And two, 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 two people that are not Arabs died so weird. So there's that. <laughs> there's that. Now the COVID pandemic is ending in 2022. If people take measures, right? Well, this is global. And oh, uh, by the way, I just wanted to say, remember how I told you, uh, because I almost forgot that um, there was a message sent to Saudi Arabia from South Sudan, right? Well, there's a reason probably why, because there's something, something that's so reminiscent of Arab Spring that there's protests in Sudan, in Khartoum, right? Um, there's a protest demanding that the people rule the nation because for three months they've been under a military coup. People are demanding to be in power, yet the military has taken control for three months now. Oh, did you guys know about that? That the military took over because they said that the elected government was corrupt. And now the people are like, what the hell is going on? You're not supposed to be ruling us. We should be ruling. And Sudan, right, is now having protests. So the question is, why are all these militaries taking over their governments in Africa? Nobody's talking about that. We're too busy discussing things we already know. The jab's not a vaccine. It doesn't work. It may be killing a lot of people. We got a lot of pediatric backup for deaths, right? It was all a sham. People made a lot of money. They stole the election. I mean, we do have a lot on our plate. But then the question is, uh, Africa's a pretty big place with a lot of investments. I mean, Twitter's there, Facebook's there. There's a lot there. So why are the militaries of all these African nations being taken over by, <laughs> by their military when they didn't even ask. Remember, like I said, in Burkina Faso, there were multiple shots fired and they cleared out their Congress. I hope that helps you understand what they're doing. And, they're, and they protested in Sudan, sending a letter handing it over to the prince and telling the world, hey, I just got a notification from Sudan. So again, why would the prince pose with a letter from the prime minister, foreign minister of South Sudan holding a letter? Let me ask you a question. If, uh, you know, Italy was to send a letter to the president, right? Or whatever. I, okay, sometimes you hear it because they hated Trump. But before Trump, did you ever hear, oh, guess what? Bush got a letter from the Italian foreign minister. No, you fucking wouldn't. And he wouldn't pose for a picture with it. So again, what is Saudi Arabia telling us? Hmm? What is Saudi Arabia telling us? Posing. Look, I got a letter from South Sudan. 
What are they telling us? What is happening? Why announce that you got a letter from the foreign minister? Are we kidding? All of this is happening and we're still recycling shit. I mean, I know at least my listeners know, right? At least my listeners know. And then the United Kingdom, right? Oh, uh, Russia's going to attack Ukraine. And it's like, um, the UK is like, yep, boys, we're closing down our embassy in the Ukraine today. Let's go, let's go, let's go. And it's like, wait, what? So now you're pulling out? And then Russia, right? Check this out. Russia is moving S-400s, the same S-400s that were anti-F-15s, uh, to Belarus borders. But they're supposed to be going to war with Ukraine. I just, it's just so confusing, right? Like, if you actually look, you can put the pieces together. And then you have, you know, the Pentagon saying, oh, we're going to be sending troops out to Ukraine now. You better believe it. Eight and a half thousand people are on ready to go. We're, they're going to do it any day now. Any day now, any day now. And then Biden's alleged administration's like, yeah, we're ready to deal with Iran directly because we're talking nuclear. <laughs> so weird. Oh, and then yesterday, weren't we talking about, what was it, um, the election fraud? Do you guys remember how I was telling you the stuff that my case will bring out, right, with the defamation that I got? Well, you know what's funny? Shit. Almost today, just today, just today, news breaks out that terror suspects were being tortured in Lithuania in soundproof and windowless rooms. And it's for sale now. It's a CIA black site. <laughs> so weird, right? So they find out that a black site for the CIA called Project Number Two, or Detention Site Violent, is for sale. That's where there were um, detainees there between 2005 and 2006. So weird. And it all comes down now, because it says it captured people in Pakistan, goes there, Oh, and it, we found this. The question is, um, it's so weird that they're talking about that today, isn't it? It's just so bizarre. It's for me that Saturday we had this conversation, or was it Thursday? I'm so confused. Was it Thursday or Saturday that I told you that some guy that was a foreigner happened to hear about election fraud in 2004, and he was tortured? you know, the election fraud that Bush did. And now I also told you that he was tortured um, off-site, uh, off outside of the United States. I think it was Romania. It could have been Lithuania. I believe it's Romania, but it could be Lithuania because today this report drops. Ergo, I might have been mistaken. Who knows? It's so weird that that's actually... Um, news now. 
black sites of the CIA for sale. Wait, if they're selling it, does that mean we make money on it? Because they bought it with our money, right? Who makes the money on that? I don't know. With the deficit we have, we're never going to see any money. Another thing I wanted to tell you. So we're talking about Africa and all these places. Now let's talk about Mali, right? Mali, M-A-L-I, right? Denmark, just so you know, had um, deployed special forces into their country, right? In 2020, there was a martial law, a junta, like a coup where the military takes over what's happening in Burkina Faso, what's going on in South Sudan, you know, in Sudan, whatever you want to call it, right? The same thing happened in Mali already, right? In, at the end of 2020. So Denmark sent, sent special forces to help um, them with the military too. <laughs> and now they want to kick them out and they're telling them, get the fuck out. And remember, this African area is so weird. You remember when Turkey was at war and they were like starving the Syrians and the Syrians were like, they're not giving us food and they're doing this and they're doing that. Right. You remember? Well, now Turkey's like, Syria won't give us food now that we're freezing to death and they won't let us bomb them and feed us. Uh, we're really upset right now. So we need to fix this. This is all going on right now. Okay. In Tunisia, the president has just had a bunch of, of people that are around him resign. Wait, what? Resign. So now Tunisia has a president that's standing all alone because everyone, including their closest aide, resigned. So weird. It is happening really, really fast. Netanyahu, who I showed you a picture kissing the Palestinian guy, Abbas, is saying that he's being blackmailed um, out of politics, right? The prime minister that's acknowledged by the UN, by the way, not by the Libyan people, right? The prime minister of Libya, right? Um, who's UN backed because he rules over a city called Tripoli and that's supposedly the real government according to the UN, right? He says that um, they need to put an interim prime minister immediately. This is, this is, it's crazy. What's happening in that region now is, is pure insanity. It, 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 you know, like nobody knows what to do. The Africans are, you know, going insane. In the meantime, Australia, right, which is like a jail again, right? It was created as a jail. It's the worst place ever right now. And I don't know how our fellow Australians are actually getting by, but Australia actually bought the rights to the Aboriginal flag. What do you mean you bought the rights? So now you own them. I'm, I'm confused. It's the mo most confusing time. It is the most horrendously confusing time. Oops. Horrendously confusing time. It's it's just the worldwide politics are like a um, a bunch of the same. If you take a step back, you're going to see that one by one, these nations are being captured by their own military. Now, many of you might think that military control is good, but you have to understand the way a soldier thinks and the way a regular person does.
right? And I can tell you right now, the only branch of military that I would ever trust to uphold and defend the Constitution of the United States is the U.S. Marine Corps. That is all. I know in my heart that a Marine would take out any officer of any other branch, and even the Marine Corps, if they were to commit anything that would be treason, if they were to do anything to hurt the people. I've seen it from watching them. That's the only branch I would ever say I have faith that they would stand for the people. That's the only thing. I mean, we laugh at them because they're jarheads, you know, and those that have um, served in the Navy, (laughs) Marine stands for my ass, rides in Navy equipment, right? But even though they're an ox to the sailors, they're the best. Um, Actually, funny conversation today. Um, I spoke to someone who's a listener and we were just talking about something else. And then they said, Hey, you know, kind of like, like the movie, right? We have only one degree of separation. I was like, what? We have someone we know in common. And, you know, you went to, to training with my friend's sister. And I'm like, what? And then he mentions the name and I'm like, Oh my gosh, you know, we shared like a room when we were going through training and I was so stressed out because I didn't know what job they were taking me for. Cause I was getting out, you know, And I asked him, like I ask other people that I've actually worked with, right? (laughs) And went to training and and have relationship with. How do you feel when you hear people talking shit about me, right? How do you feel when you see them proving it too? (laughs) That, you know, they have like evidence, right? (laughs) Obviously he said, you know, how are you going to respond to that, right? He said, I get angry because it's not right. But that's the thing. People... (laughs) People make up true, but there's actual real people um, that I work with. Um, And the person that I was sharing the room with, I love her. We're still friends, right? She had an ass that was so tight. You know, I would tell her, you know, you're gay. I'd I'd totally be gay with you. Like she was so hot and (laughs) I was so bad, but (laughs) she was so amazing. Um, And I still love her, even though she's, she's lefty now. uh, She, Rolls with Antifa, whatever, you know, I still love her, even though, because I know the other version of her and it's still in there somewhere, you know, circumstances sometimes um, change people, um, but their core is always the same. This is why, oh, this is, this is a thought. This is why, you know how there's a lot of people that you run into in your life, either that be male, female, whatever, that are broken right? That they're bad and evil. And you're like, no, 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 I can embrace them and I'm going to fix them. Here's the deal. If their core is evil, you can suppress it. You can minimize its impact, right? But there were always two seeds. You can minimize its impact, but if it can't get to the point of redemption, they're always going to be manipulative, shady, and evil. You have to want redemption. Can't just say it. You have to want it. So we're going to take a super quick break. And um, I'll be right back. And we'll talk about insanity on trial. And this has to do with an assassination of a president. I think you guys are going to like this show uh, today. Uh, But before we do that, obviously, we're going to listen to Joe Biden 
act weird with Kamala and then call Peter Ducey a son of a bitch. <laughs> so I'll see you guys in just a bit. God bless. Boys. Boys, boys, boys. Boys, boys, boys. Boys, boys, boys. Boys, boys, boys. Welcome back from that short intermission. Uh, <laughs> I think that we should start on um, our domestic, our, our foreign. There's not much to say. We've already talked about it years ago, and many will be like, well, I just started. Well, you know, when you're washing the dishes in the shower, I don't know, in the car, running on your treadmill, or whatever it is you're doing, or when you don't want to listen to someone, you just want to pop something in your ears, take a listen to some old ones. Uh, the archivist that we have, W.H. Tempest, has actually put very detailed um, descriptions, or you can go to torysaid.com and uh, put in, not Tori Says, Tori Says has the articles on stuff, but Tori Said, you can actually find um, transcribed episodes, so you can find more information from there, too. Uh, in regards to understanding how these rumors of war happen. And boys will be boys, and they will want to make a lot of money and tell you how we're under war, and this is why we're going to suspend the elections, because we can't trust them. You know, something like that, I guess. 
some weird stuff like that. But um, let's get into this Biden dude for a second. Oh, and for those of you asking what song it was, it was this song, Remixed. Do you remember that song? I don't want to play a lot of it because I don't need a DCMA. It was from Sabrina, boys, 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 right? Um, so I just thought I'd I'd let you know because I know a lot of people are like, well, it's a remix from that song. Boys, boys, boys. Let's look at what this boy did with this girl with the Adam's apple did, um, which is really weird because it's um it was strange. And, you know, I don't like Tammy Bruce much, but I mean, she kind of nails it on this. Always have my back. You're really I amazing. Do. You're the best partner I could imagine. Sweet. But why? Why now? The president set off a social media firestorm with that exchange during a virtual meeting with the DNC. Social users calling it wildly creepy and beyond phony, fake and gross, nauseating. The president appeared to be trying to boost support for the vice president, who's been suffering reports of dissent in her office, lots of people leaving, and several PR gaps. Latest Fox News polling with her job approval at 43%. That's seven points down from just June. Wow. Tammy Bruce, Fox News contributor and host of Get Tammy Bruce on Fox Nation. Hey. Tammy, great to see you today. First of all, let's not lose sight of who the audience was. It wasn't really all of us. It was for the Democratic National Committee. Why that performance for the DNC? It's very strange, you know, because if somebody we knew spoke to us in that manner, we would call 911 because something was wrong with this person and their delivery. And you don't know where that comment is heading and why they're saying that to you. But what's very strange is exactly that, is that for some reason there is a need for him to reassure the DNC that the president has the vice president's back as though this is some separate group that doesn't understand both of them, doesn't know both of them, doesn't see the reports we see, huh. unless it was a request of hers that she is supported in front of that group. Because remember, she's also thinking about 2024. So it's a matter of her thinking about her own relevance, I think. And this may have been a request. And of course, this is the, the horrible dynamic. He did it, but in a manner that clearly was absurd. I don't know if that was because it's him or because it was uh, almost like a hostage video where you're saying what you're supposed to say, but you want everyone to know you really don't mean it. Well, let's hope not. No. All right. Let's see that video again and hear it again. Come on. I love you. You always have my back. You're really amazing. You're the best partner. Sweet. Taking to the streets in our world, Washington, D.C., over the weekend, calling for an end to COVID-19 mandates. Watch. Medical freedom has been hijacked by hospitals, by insurance companies, by the government, and by big pharma. Doctors, now is the time to stand up and save our profession. Dr. Fauci, again, stating what he sees as our best case scenario with the coronavirus pandemic. Control means you're not eliminating it, you're not eradicating it, but it gets down to such a low level that it's essentially integrated into the general respiratory infections that we have learned to live with. We'd like it to get down to that level, but doesn't disrupt us in the sense of getting back to a degree of normality. That's the best case scenario. You do realize. 
That's fancy for flatten the curve. It, it's, <laughs> it's fancy for flatten the curve, and it's a word salad for herd immunity. And he just did not want to, he did not want to say that word because that's herd immunity. If there's anyone who is, he's been the face of this pandemic, and this pandemic has been a disaster, and yet there he is still being taken seriously. Now, you might not have agreed with everyone who was speaking at that rally, but we're not the only ones having them. These rallies against mandates and and uh, uh, control are all around the world. And this is at a point where they realize, Fauci at one point said uh, several weeks ago, that certain things weren't going to be planned for because of the mood of the country. And that's fascinating because they realize that they've screwed it up like everything else. And uh, the Americans have recognized that. And what we want is what we've always wanted, which is the ability to have a private relationship with our doctors, making decisions about our health care with information provided by the CDC, which is fine. But it's remarkable that we're still uh, they're still trying to have this be an emergency and that we're still supposed to be taking orders from an unelected well, look, bureaucrat who has failed. If we can go forward and start to treat this, uh, as many doctors have said on this very program, like it's going to be around for a while. If we can get there, we can take the emergency out of it, put the urgency yes. into the therapeutics and the things that take us forward. That, that's right. Scott, with our emergency, it. they're able to do so much more without doing it through the regular avenues, aren't they? Yeah, wow. they well, like that's that the politics emergency. of it. Yeah. That's about, because where we were with former President Trump is get Operation Warp Speed, get those vaccines, get us a way to, to take the next steps. And we we're technically still kind of there. That's right. All right. Former New York Times writer Barry Weiss blasted COVID mandates over the weekend. Quick, let's watch. I'm, I'm done with COVID. Oh, I'm done. So many of my liberal and progressive friends are with me on this, and they do not want to say it out loud because they are scared to be called anti-vax or to be called science denial or to be, you know, smeared as a trumper. This is going to be remembered by the younger generation as a catastrophic moral crime. I think... It's, it's a pandemic. It's, it's like at this point, it's a pandemic of bureaucracy. It's a pandemic of bureaucracy. It's not it's not real anymore. Tammy. Well, look, this is a, the real crisis. In addition to the pandemic is the fact that what she said is that liberals don't want to be honest about it because they don't want to be called a name. Shame on them. Step up. This is about everyone's children and about our future. Don't let them be control of our future that way. Well, did you see that movie? Oh, yes, it's a moral crime. But, you know, now Ebola happens and we're at war, so shut up, because that's real. Okay? Okay? So stop. Be quiet. Okay? Just giving you a preview. Now, I'm going to remind you of an article that I wrote about how the Hippocratic Oath has been canceled. Okay? Subtitle, you always thought you are a consumer for the corporations. It turns out that you're the one being consumed by the corporations. Let that sink in. So I wrote this last year because there was a barrage of you're not coming in and the demagogues making it all political. And I reminded people what the original Hippocratic Oath was and what the revised one is and, you know, and how people are non-compliant and that something that we saw in Nazi Germany. And one of my listeners had made this amazing mask and all this. But one thing that we forget is that there was no science, right? We knew this, and the doctors have forgotten their oath. See, that's key. Everything that's coming out now, you already knew, so you're wondering, why now? Oh, it was, it was, here's what you're thinking. It just took them a while to catch up. <coughs> Excuse me. 
it took him a while to, uh, you know, get on the same page and it took him a while <laughs> to feel outrage. It took him a while to have a voice. It took him a while, right? It took him a while at Fox to call it what it is. It took him a while at the New York times to call it what it is. It took him a while to get people even on, what did I tell you? Oh yeah, that's right. CNN. So it took him a while, right? To do all of that. Right guys. It took him a while. Right. Cause you believe that, right? Here's CNN who didn't take that much of a while. Oh, it, um, didn't work for me. Give me a second. You should see this because it took everyone such a long while to speak to the obvious. Like it took them a long while to talk about graphene. It took them a long while to do a lot of things. And you have to wonder why now? Why not a year ago? Why not a year and a half ago? Why now? <laughs> Hence, the show today, Betrayal. Scott, I read a piece that you just wrote, uh, essentially saying this is Joe Biden doing what Joe Biden does. I never imagined how quickly this would all unfold. The person they sold on the campaign, the nice old, you know, moderate grandpa who just wanted to help everybody get along and compromise is not what we got over the last year. He has no mandate really to do much of anything. It's amazing that he got a couple of things done when the mandate was really simply replace Donald Trump and don't do anything drastic or stupid. And about this agenda is extremely drastic. And he's been angrier than I think people expected. He's been more divisive, he's been more partisan. You look at the issues. We built five years of coverage on Trump out of Russia, COVID, and democracy. The president at his press conference invites Russia to invade the Ukraine. We got more deaths under Biden than Trump. And now we have the president and vice president and leading Democrats question the legitimacy of the 2022 election. Are we any better off? on these three issues that we crucified Trump over, I think he has a lot of political problems. And an AP poll came out this morning. Only 28% of Americans want the sitting president to run for re-election and fewer than half of Democrats. This is a disaster. So yeah, that's what's up, right? <laughs> that's exactly it. So the question you should be asking yourself is why? The video wasn't playing. I don't know why. I think it was being blocked. But you heard it. The question you should ask yourself is, why now? Why now? Why are all these hot mics happening now, too? What hot mics? Well, here, let's have Judge Janine, who's who would have made a great attorney general for President Trump. Let's see what she has to say about that. The slip of calling Peter Ducey a son of a bitch by Biden. I think we have young Mr. Ducey uh, with <laughs> us right now. You heard Dana's comments and everyone's comments, Peter. Have you been called by the White House or the president and asked for to come to the Oval Office tomorrow for an interview? <laughs> no, no. And I don't think that that's coming either. Um, but what's crazy about this is uh, in the longer version of the clip, there was a group of reporters that were all gathered. We listened to him explain the competition council, which is the reason that he's having this meeting with most of the cabinet. And somebody shouted out a question about Russia. And the president said, I'm not going to take questions right now about anything off topic. So I shouted out, 
something that's not on my two pages of questions about crime. Uh, okay, <laughs> what about inflation? Do you think inflation is a political liability in the midterms? And then he said that, and I couldn't even hear him because people were shouting at us to get out. But somebody came up to me in the briefing room a few minutes later and said, did you hear what the president <laughs> said? And I said, no, what? They said, he called you a stupid SOB. And I said, did he say SOB? And the person said, no. <laughs> he did the elongated version. You know. Prime time. Uh, yep. So, Ducey, I think the president's right. You are a stupid SOB. <laughs> Yeah, nobody has fact-checked him yet and said it's not true. <laughs> no one's given Pinocchios for that one. No, but so you're now, I guess, everyone's talking about you. You're going to be known as the stupid SOB guy. I mean, before you were like the, the hair guy with the blonde hair. Now you're, now you're stupid SOB. Is this something you're embracing, Peter? Do I have a choice? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. I mean, I think you just have to walk around for the rest of your career as the stupid SOB. Oh. No, but it, it is something great that you were called a name by a president. Yeah. I mean, that's something that you're that will yep. be in the history books. Yeah, I think that if Peter, we still have them. And Peter, you might already have like a book title. Yes. Right. Um, uh, or a chapter title, at least. I do have a question. This happened last week with Jackie Heinrich. Happened again today. Like, what, is, is there something going on at the White House where there is more press availabilities that you're getting these hot mic moments or is there just a lot of pressure because of everything that's going on what do you do you notice anything different well you know the white house and the communications officials here had been signaling last week when they had their first year in office anniversary that they were going to take a different approach with reporters and we thought that that meant uh <laughs> after he did the two-hour press conference oh well he's just going to be available for q a more often uh but maybe it's more stuff like this restrictive some of this was how restrictive some of this was but you're going to make a difference in ordinary people's lives ordinary people's lives are going to make a difference so anyway and the floor is yours Wow, looks like a lot of UN agendas, but let's skip to the saucy part. Let's not listen to all that bullshit. Let's keep going. Oh, well, no, listen to what he said about the questions. Mr. President, could you give us a brief update on your call with European leaders on what's happening in Ukraine today? The only reason I don't like doing this is you never report on why I've called a meeting. And this is really important. I had a very, very, very good meeting. Totally. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Are you complaining about the same shit President Trump used to complain where he'd be sitting there with Abe and they're talking about stuff or where he'd be sitting there announcing the new deal that the, 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 the Israel did with the Arabs? And then instead of them asking, oh, my gosh, you guys signed a historic agreement. Tell us about this. Instead, they were like, hey, what do you think about Stormy Daniels? And it's like you've got the, 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 <laughs> the president of whatever country you want next to president tell us about stormy daniels hey um are you sure your kid isn't doing this i heard that your son's getting a divorce oh um and tell us did you really get two scoops of ice cream while everybody else got one <laughs> and now he's bitching you never do report about you know what i'm talking about what the meeting's about you're asking me about important shit like war can you shut up i'm just translating for you Unanimity with all the European leaders. We'll talk about it later. Thank you. Thank you. Why are you sending 8,500 troops to Ukraine, possibly? Thank you, guys. Will you take questions on inflation then?
Thank you. Thank you all. Do you think inflation is a political liability? That's a great asset. More inflation. What a stupid son of a bitch. I'm sorry. Did you hear it? That's a great asset. Warish son of a bitch. Question about inflation. Stupid son of a bitch. Let's listen to that again. Because everyone's talking about the stupid son of a bitch. They don't talk about the before. Thank you. Thank you, Thank you all. Do you think it was a political liability? That's a great asset. More inflation. What a stupid son of a bitch. That's a great asset. Mm, shit like this. Inflation. Stupid. Thank you. Thank you all. Do you think inflation is a political liability? That's a great asset. More inflation. What a stupid son of a bitch. Huh. So see, for me, the stupid son of a bitch part is whatever, because he uses the word son of a bitch a lot. Okay? That's a Biden thing. But he just named him as an asset. What a great asset. <laughs> stupid son of a bitch. So the question is, his asset... The people's asset, the agency's asset that has loyalty to the Praetorian or to the people. Which one? I don't know. Is it the UN's asset? Like, these are all questions that we have. Why is no one focusing on that? It's just a question. What he said before. Um, he's a great asset. So, now, before we get into... Um, the topic topic of today, which is betrayal in history. Uh, and this is going to be so much fun for you guys to, you know, we're going to talk JFK. We're going to talk Garfield. I mean, assassinated presidents, very important. Actually, during an assassination is when they were trying to define what the word insanity means. Almost like they were trying to save the guy who shot the president based on insanity. And this is before JFK. Let's take this musical interlude. Oh, that was a remix of the song uh, The Sign by Ace of Base. Hopefully, you took that historical moment and understood exactly what it meant. So let's get into the nitty gritty. Let's talk about betrayal. What does betrayal mean? That is the question one might ask. Now, obviously it has to be within your blood to be one that cannot trust. The act of betraying someone or something or the fact of being betrayed is a violation of a person's trust or confidence of a moral standard. Betrayal also means revelation of something that is hidden or secret. Synonyms for it, according to the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, is business, disloyalty, business, backstanding, double-cross, backstabbing, two-timing, treason, perfidy, sellout, business, unfaithfulness, falselessness, sellout, falsity, treachery, 
infidelity. Those are a few. And you know what the opposite of betrayal is? Fidelity, loyalty, allegiance, staunchness, devotion, and faithfulness. Remember that definition of betrayal. Remember that another word for business is betrayal. And so let's enter into betrayal. I think we'll start with my most favorite infographics. Uh, I actually adore them. The question that we will study today through them is, why was everybody connected to JFK suddenly, mysteriously killed? Isn't that weird? He gets assassinated. Everybody else gets killed. It's so bizarre. Let's take a look. A warm, sunny day in Dallas, Texas. Multiple shots ring out. Moments later, the President of the United States is dead. Two days later, the man responsible was also dead. The man who killed him, Jack Ruby, descended into an unfathomable mental illness and himself died not too long after. And as you'll see today, many other people connected in some way with the JFK assassination quickly bit the dust. Number 6. So what really happened to Jack Ruby? So what happened to Jack Ruby? How come he lost his mind after he killed Oswald? One man who'd done a lot of research on this topic and a lot of research into the Manson murders isn't quite sure, but does say some things look out of the ordinary. His name is Tom O'Neill, and he just had a book come out after researching the Manson murders for over 20 years. In a podcast, he said this about Ruby's meeting with Louis Jollyon Jolly West, a man that for a long time denied he was working with the CIA on mind control program NKUltra. O'Neill said, My most important finding is that a CIA-contracted agent or researcher for mind control became that witness's doctor right before he testified and told his story, and then he goes crazy. The problem is no one who worked in MKUltra will talk about it. It would have remained a complete secret had the CIA got away with destroying all related files. We know that just before Ruby was to testify to the Warren Commission, West visited him in his jail cell. No other people were present. West said Ruby had gone mad and was a paranoid rambling mess of a man. We must remember here that prior to this, when West wrote to the CIA's mind control master, Sidney Gottlieb, he said his specialty was inducing insanity in people without their awareness. We know that after Ruby shot Oswald, some strange things happened. The police pinned him to the floor, and out of his mouth came these words, What am I doing here? What are you guys jumping on me for? It was as if he wasn't in control of himself. A psychiatrist later said that Ruby had suffered from a fugue state with subsequent amnesia. A fugue state is characterized by someone who suddenly loses their sense of themselves, having a kind of breakdown where they don't know what they're doing. Remember, no one had any idea that West had been working with the CIA on mind control. West tried very hard to get involved with Ruby, at one time asking Judge Joe B. Brown to appoint him on the case. According to documents that were found by Tom O'Neill a long time after the trial, West had been asked by someone to work on the case, but he never said who. At first, the judge refused to give West access to Ruby, but with some effort, West insinuated himself in the case. It was thought that perhaps West, with all the skills he had, could help Ruby recall the day he shot Oswald. On April 26, 1964, West boarded a plane and went to see Ruby. Not long after, West came out of Ruby's cell and stated the man had a complete psychotic break. West said that Ruby was positively insane. No one knows and will likely never know what happened in that cell. In the sworn affidavit, West wrote that Ruby was hearing things and seeing things, going as far as to hide under his table because he thought all the Jews in the U.S. would be slaughtered. West said that Ruby said he'd seen his brother tortured, horribly mutilated, 
castrated and burned in the street outside the jail. West wrote that Ruby could still hear the screams of Jewish children being boiled alive. It sounded like a really bad trick. After that, any other doctor that met with Ruby came to the same conclusion. He had suddenly gone mad. Still, doctors who talked with Ruby before West had seen him had said he was absolutely fine, not crazy at all. West wrote, Tonight, my own findings make it clear that there has been an acute change in the patient's condition since these earlier studies were carried out. A doctor that had seen Ruby before and after he had met with West was astounded by the change. His name was Dr. William Beavers, and he wrote that there was a possibility that someone had done something to Ruby, perhaps given him some sort of very powerful drug. He wrote the possibility of toxic psychosis could be entertained, but is considered unlikely because of the protected situation. Obviously, Beavers could not have had an inkling that West was involved in a project that forced powerful drugs on unwitting victims and tried to mess with their minds. A good point is, what if he had known about West's involvement with the CIA's dark program? He probably would have looked into the matter further. What's even stranger is the fact that Ruby was visited by Dr. Werner Tudor in 1965. He made an evaluation and sent the notes to West so they could be submitted to court. West looked at the documents and he erased one part. It said, there is considerable guilt about the fact he sent guns to Cuba. Why did West expunge that line? Did he have anything to do with Ruby's breakdown? We don't know. There is a possibility that there is more to the story than we already know. After all, the CIA wasn't exactly forthcoming about its mind control efforts. Now, listen to how three men all walked into a room one day and not long after were all dead. Number 5. Enter at your own risk. The journalist Bill Hunter received some acclaim for writing Three Days in Dallas after the JFK assassination. He also wrote about Ruby shooting Oswald. He was one of the few people that actually got permission to have a look around Ruby's apartment right after he shot Oswald. In April 1964, Hunter was sitting at a desk in Long Beach Police HQ and he was shot. The gun of a policeman named Crichton Wiggins had apparently accidentally gone off and a bullet had entered the chest of Hunter, killing him instantly. The officer said he had dropped the gun. Investigators soon found out that there was no way that Wiggins was telling the truth. He admitted that he hadn't dropped the gun at all, but had been playing around with it when it accidentally fired. It's the case, and that's why his death is seen as suspicious by some of the JFK conspiracy fraternity. Ruby had been living with a man named George Senator. We've seen the court transcripts, so this is very much a fact. Senator said this in a court about Ruby. He was a good, sound American citizen, and politics, he never messed around with that. He never messed around politically at all. The majority was connected with the music industry, the nightlife, you know, his club, his competitors, what they were doing. It was because of Senator that Hunter was allowed into Ruby's room. Also allowed inside was Dallas Times Herald journalist Jim Cothy and Ruby's attorney Tom Howard. On the 21st of September 1964, while writing a book on the assassination, Cothy mysteriously died. Some sources say that he had been karate chopped to the neck, but other sources say that he was strangled. No one knows what happened, although Time Magazine in 1966 attempted to dampen the flames of conspiracy by saying the journalist was well known for hanging out with thugs. Time said police at the time said the motive was somehow connected to homosexuality, but didn't expand on that. We found a news clipping from back then with the headline, Newsman's Death Termed Murder. The police captain said this in the report. He could have killed by a karate blow to the neck or have fallen and struck his neck on a table or a bedstand in the room where his body was found. The apartment had been ransacked, and there were signs of a struggle. Police in the end said it was a burglary that had gone wrong, although people have said it had something to do with the notes the journalist had written about the assassination or what he knew about Ruby. One year later, Howard also died. His death was ruled a heart attack, although as people are quick to point out, there was never an autopsy. Still, the New York Times wrote that he had died of a massive coronary infection, stating, Mr. Howard had been ill for several days but continued his law practice. 
he was just 48. As you'll now see, not only men tied to the case died. Number 4. Was this woman really going to crack the case? One journalist actually got to chat with Ruby and her name was Dorothy Kilgolfin. She was not so sure about the conclusions that the Warren Commission came up with and she let it be known. She also published some of the commission's findings before they were officially released to the public. What happened to her? On November 8, 1965, she was found dead in her apartment in Manhattan. Prior to that, she had written that the CIA and the Mafia had worked together. Some people have also said that she was a CIA asset. After the assassination, she reportedly told her friends that she was going to crack the case. She said to one person, in five more days I'm going to bust this case wide open. By all accounts, she had given the first draft of her book to Florence Smith, her friend, and the wife of the ambassador to Cuba. When Kilgoffin's body was found, it was determined that she had died from an overdose of booze and barbiturates. According to some sources, she was found in a room she didn't go in often. She had a book in her lap that she'd already finished, and her reading glasses, which she couldn't read without, were in another room. As for Florence Smith, did she have those notes? No is the answer. She died one day after Kilgoffin of a cerebral hemorrhage. She was 45. No book or notes were found. Still, she had reportedly been ill for some time and had only just gotten out of the hospital. There is evidence that Smith was friends with JFK and Mrs. Kennedy, and it's never been revealed where the New York Times got the information from about her illness and stay in the hospital. That's just what the paper wrote in her obituary. The next one has had conspiracy theorists talking for years but they might have been seeing things that just weren't there. Number 3. The Benavides Brothers Then there were the brothers, Edward Benavides and Domingo Benavides. Domingo was one of the witnesses who saw police officer J.D. Tippett get shot after the assassination. Some sources say he testified that the shooter looked nothing like Oswald, but from what we can see, he just gave a vague description that could have been a lot of people. Some sources say that a dark presence feared that he would blow the lid on something, so he needed to be taken out. But he wasn't killed. Instead, his brother, who looked like him, was shot in a tavern in Dallas. But, and this is important, the brother was shot after the Warren Commission had people testify in court. Conspiracy theorists have argued that he was shot during the investigation, but we've actually seen his death certificate. Indeed, he was murdered on February 16, 1965. This means he couldn't have been taken out accidentally by someone who wanted to kill his brother. It's just another death that you could say is the type of thing to start making lights go off in someone's head. Now let's look how one official thought that the CIA took out JFK. Number 2. The Insiders Did a man who worked for the CIA have extensive knowledge about the assassination and know that his own team had done the job? The man was named Gary Underhill. According to some books, after the assassination, he said this to a friend. You're going to Spain? That's the best thing to do. I've got to get out of the country too. This country is too dangerous for me now. I've got to get on a boat too. I'm really afraid for my life. Oswald is a patsy. They've set him up. It's too much. The bleeps have done something outrageous. They've killed the president. The CIA denied that this man worked for them. But then the CIA, it has to be said, has always been very sparing with the truth. It's a fact that Underhill worked in the military intelligence service, so he is a person of interest. It's also stated by credible sources that he did actually say those things after the assassination. Shortly after, he was found dead in his house. According to the District of Columbia Department of Public Health, his certificate of death dated May 8, 1964 read that he shot self in head with an automatic pistol. Some people have remarked that he had been shot behind the left ear and the gun was discovered in his left hand. He was right-handed. But then, if he did kill himself, maybe he was an unorthodox kind of guy. Also, would CIA hitmen be that stupid? Now, we turn to the FBI and an agent named Gary Bannister. This guy was a serious anti-communist who later went on to form his own private investigation agency. He was accused by one of his colleagues of knowing about the hit on JFK being an inside job. 
This guy told a lot of people about that and he became a big part of the investigation. Bannister died soon after in 1964 from coronary thrombosis. He was 63. Number 1. The Lover According to various mainstream sources, a woman named Mary Pincho Meyer was a mistress of JFK and a friend of his wife. She was also a good buddy of the wife of a very high-ranking CIA guy. In 1964, she was murdered, and her death to this day remains a mystery. Her affair with the president had been a big secret, and so that information only came out later. As for her death, it was said the shooter must have had extensive training with a firearm. An African-American man named Ray Crump was charged with the murder, but when the case went to trial, he was acquitted. So why would someone have taken this woman out execution style? It's well known that she kept a diary, and in it were things that some people thought the world didn't need to know. After she was killed, people went in search of that diary. One of them was a CIA agent who was caught trying to break into her apartment, according to journalist Ben Bradley. But, so what if the diary exposed the president? So what if he and his mistress smoked weed together in the White House? Did that really qualify for her execution? Well, some of the people believe that this woman knew too much, maybe more than has been let on, and that's why she had to go. It's also worth noting that after the Warren Commission came up with its report, she was very skeptical. Maybe that was one of the reasons why the agency was wiretapping her phone. This is all true, and you have to admit her death and the timing of it do sound quite suspicious. Now, you need to watch the JFK assassination. What really happened? So this uh, woman knew too much. She had a diary. You know, they didn't have dead man switches on Right. Because the CIA, she worked with the CIA or was partnered up there, but then she was also JFK's mistress. You mean she was feeding information back to the agency while boinking him. That's old school shit. <laughs> so, see how that CIA agent was, people said that he wasn't in the CIA, but he was an intelligence officer at some point in the military, but wasn't the CIA anymore. But he was part of the CIA, say most people, except for the agency itself. You know, the guy that said that the CIA took him out. <laughs> so weird. So weird. Boys will be boys, will be boys, will be boys. So they did that. And, and who else was it that I hope oh, that's right. Marilyn Monroe. She committed suicide, right? <laughs> so weird. She was an asset to CAA, of course. So, I mean, they were called something else back then, but boys, 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 right? You got to cover it, right? That's the way it is. Huh? It's not that easy this time. You know, especially when you mess with tech, you don't understand that tech may not work like you want it. And it can start singing if you just do the wrong mishap. Now, to understand just how far back stories of betrayal like this, betrayal from your own agencies, betrayal from your own FBI, CIA, and other people, we should go back in time to 1881, like I said, before the ink was dry. And what's weird is, it's in a strange way, they almost attempted to make insanity expanded, meaning if the person says things they know are crazy, untrue, salacious, right, that they should be excused for that. Let's, we're not going to watch this whole thing, but we need to talk about the first part, and then we're going to jump all the way to the end where the trial was actually being done. Take a listen. Next on The American Experience. 
He knew that when he pressed the trigger, a bullet would hit the president. The president, James A. Garfield, shot on July 2nd, 1881. The assassin, Charles Guiteau, his motive and mental state a mystery. Would you describe for the jury, Mr. Charles Guiteau? He has beaten and cheated his way through the world. Madman or murderer? Insanity on trial. Next on The American Experience. Good evening, I'm David McCullough. Anyone who spends time with the letters and diaries or newspapers of 19th century America is struck again and again by how great was the role of religion in the lives of most Americans. Tonight's film, Insanity on Trial, is about a 19th century murder, the killing in 1881 of James A. Garfield, President of the United States, and the sensational trial of the accused assassin, Charles Guiteau, who claimed God told him to do it, while his attorney argued that Guiteau was insane and should not therefore be held accountable. I am here as God's man and don't you forget it, Guiteau said. Ideas no less than a man were on trial. Is the belief that God has directed one's actions a sign of mental imbalance? A crucial question in a pious society, but especially in America just then, because John Brown too had said God made him kill to free the slaves. Had John Brown been insane? Had the Civil War been ignited not by a saint, but by a madman after all? And what trust to place in science in modern, forward-looking 19th century America? Darwin, Pasteur, Humboldt, Agassiz had changed the way the world was perceived, and advances in medicine especially were among the proudest signs of the times. But how advanced, how trustworthy was the science of the mind? Where was the dividing line between insanity and plain bad character? whose expert opinions could be trusted. Could someone who was insane carefully plan and execute a murder? Were Guiteau's outbursts in court proof of mental unbalance or an act put on to convince the jury? And who was Charles Guiteau? In most history textbooks, he's described simply as a disappointed office seeker. Nothing more is said, but there was much more. And it tells us a great deal about America in the last century. And that too is part of our story. Evidence pertaining to a 19th century political assassination, the murder of an American president, is kept in these three boxes in the National Archives. The crime itself was fairly simple and can be easily reconstructed, but the motive and the assassin's mental state are more complicated. These files contain a few clues, medical testimony, eyewitness accounts, and a letter written by the assassin just one hour before he committed the crime. Insanity. Insanity. Let's talk about that before we get into uh, the rest of that uh, video, uh, the part of the actual trial. Insanity. How would you define that? As someone, you know, insane people don't know they're insane, right? Can you fault them for being crazy? I mean, you can, especially when there's real life, you know, issues. 
but can you fault them really? Because they don't know they're crazy, right? They think they're right. And they think, well, I think this, so it is true. Insane people will say anything to feel comforted in their truth. So here we have a very odd case that has a lot of, um, how do I say, similarities with what's going on today in our nation. They all knew that organizations like Antifa are actually organizations with chapters, yet can we claim that all of them have a, a bout of temporary insanity, forgetting that they are? Question, Mark. Is it a bout of insanity, of creating falsified evidence during a presidential impeachment trial? Is it insanity that you sit there and you make up a conversation that the president of the United States had. Insanity. Insanity. How do you define it? Something that falls out of the logic of common sense, common approved view, or truth. What is true? I mean, you can sit here and say you're Napoleon. You can sit here and claim that you're President Garfield himself, you can claim whatever. You can sit there and until you're blue in the face and say that you're a man, therefore, but you are indeed a woman with a vagina that can reproduce in boobs, right? What is the definition? Nobody knows. And during this trial where a man claimed that God told him, almost like those honor killings, you know, that they're trying to legalize in Minnesota now, uh, religious killings. Oh, you missed that memo, didn't you? See, because it's coming, you know, trickling down in the media where they're talking about how religious motives, how they need to be acknowledged by the law. How God can drive someone to do something. How, you know, and we're not talking jihad. We're talking this kind of trial where they tried to expand insanity, where it's like, who are you to define what truth is? So are you saying that the man didn't speak to God? Are you saying that he wasn't instructed to kill this person? Who are you to say that? If he is saying it and you know that he can't talk to God, then he is insane. Even though he says, I knew that shooting that gun would kill him. I did it because God said so. So who is God? Could it be his neighbor? Could it be someone on the other end of the phone? Could it be some troll on the internet? Could it be that he's just hearing voices? Right. So I guess, you know, if people start coming out saying that, you know, they were, they were told to do this, that, um, It'll be a bout of insanity because of climate change or this new virus that's being released. It's just people are going crazy, um, uh, but they're not. They're, we can't try them for murder. We can't try them for atrocities or crimes against humanity because, uh, you know, God told them that they're supposed to do that. Their God told them that it is okay. That's, that's almost like that. 
you know, wait till you hear this trial, because this is um, quite fascinating, where you hear the testimony and how it goes. Huh? They still hung the guy. But that was 1881. Now, killing a deer for food is considered atrocious. But firing up the ovens because someone's unvaccinated may be considered okay. I'm not going to tell you, oh, he was crazy. Obviously, he was crazy. That, because to say that meant they were perhaps taken in, a little foolish, that they did business with this man, that they didn't recognize his state. They see him as a scoundrel. And after all, he was a scoundrel. That they saw in him. But they didn't associate that with insanity. Only a few people did. Among the few who saw insanity in Guiteau's behavior were the neurologists, young scientists whose strange new theories challenged established medical notions. The inequality of the two sides of the head is determined by considering the head from three points of view, from the front, from the back, and from the top where under normal circumstances, the two sides should be practically equal. The most noticeable asymmetry is the one presenting the front view, just as the prisoner faces you. If I take the line from A to C to B, that is on the left side, that is the one to which I referred as being three times more asymmetrical under normal circumstances than the line A, D, B. Mm. Suppose that to be an accurate depiction of the prisoner's head. In what way would, would that differ from the ordinary class of heads that you see in the community everywhere? I would say that it is far beyond the ordinary degree of asymmetry. Well, Dr. Spitzka. So let's talk science. <laughs> Okay, I'm going to stop laughing. <laughs> oh my gosh. You know, I have to agree though. I'm laughing. I'm laughing because it sounds so trivial. Okay, it's 1881, all right? All right, let's just get it done. It's not quackery. I've talked about psychotomy before. Oh boy, and something just hit me real hard thinking of that. Um, I just made a connection from like years ago that just freaked me out. Don't want to talk about it. Um, but indeed, um, a symmetry in someone's facial, uh, construction, kind of like the Habsburg jaw, right? Indicates certain features of susceptibility. Now, many might say that this susceptibility arises from their, um, um, uh, insecurities that arise because they're a little bit crooked or they have a big head or a narrow chin or look like Jay Leno, you know, um, that, um, asymmetry, uh, could, uh, indeed indicate, uh, not insanity, but, um, uh, susceptibility. You can't rely on that. There have to be other factors, of course, too. Uh, so, you know, these malformities that people have uh, within their facial, their skull structure, skull, so it would be jaw, head, right? It indicates a malformation um, 
that is purposeful. You know, I heard this, um, this saying when I was in Italy, uh, I was at the Spanish steps. You know why I'd go there? Cause you get cat called and it's so fucking hot. You know, I was young. I was like, yeah, you know, but you know what someone said? I was talking to a gentleman that, um, had a, you know, malformity on his face. Like his face was like, it looked like a scar, but it was like a bump, like the side of his face. And, you know, I was just chatting, um, and waiting to get some street food. And this other guy, super hot, very old for me at the time, you know, he was 60, but he looked hot. And, um, he was like, you know, don't you know thing wrong with their face? or like a big scar, it's God telling you, no, 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 be careful because they can be possessed by demons. This is a really old dude that told me this, hot old dude, right? He was like beyond silver fox. He was like white as snow fox, right? Um, and he was wearing old spice too. <laughs> so he actually had told me that as I was waiting for my street food. Now, uh, let me explain to you what happened with this guy. <clears throat> he actually worked within the presidential team. He was actually working for government agencies. The guy that murdered President Garfield, right? That assassinated him. He actually worked for the government. Just, just giving you this whole, uh, you know, spiel so you understand uh, how people were saying, well, no, he's just ruthless. He's not a good person. He didn't just become crazy now. You know, he's just pretending to be crazy. So he doesn't go to jail and just goes to an, an asylum. He worked with us. He was a contractor for the federal government. He worked within the white house. He was friends with all, he was close to Garfield. Like he was talking to Garfield. He was in proximity with Garfield. And then suddenly he becomes nuts and makes up these conspiracy theories. <laughs> so weird. Cause all those years, he was like a grifter, kind of wanting to be special, wanting to create a company. Wait, I'll show you the story. You know, if they only got to him a lot earlier, here. State. You had the appearance of a new discipline called neurology. Partly it's a product of specialization. His fanaticism was said to be inherited from his father, who had sent him to live in a spiritual commune at age 18. Do you know the prisoner, Charles Guiteau? I was formerly acquainted with him, yes, sir. Where? At the Oneida community. The Oneida community was built according to instructions that its leader, John Humphrey Noyes, said came directly from God. He believed that the second coming of Christ had already occurred. Oneida, therefore, was devised as a sort of earthly heaven in upstate New York. All 300 members lived communally. Their earthly possessions handed over upon entering. Wait a minute. Um, <laughs> shit. I thought that the first big cult was, you know, the one that I talked about before in Africa. You know, the one that Pelosi and, and, and Feinstein, you know, where they killed the person and put them in a coffin and then suddenly became a politician. Kind of like that song we saw, right? Boys, boys, 
with. But I'm just saying, so now we're at the point where we're realizing that this person went to this Oneida camp, then started working for the government. You know, it's funny, the location of this camp. You know, I could have sworn that there was some other trial that happened a couple of years ago here. Based in the same location, oh, what is it, that big organization that flanks up to Hillary's forest behind her house? Ah, oh, I talked about it before. It's in upstate New York. It is a um, big, you know, uh, what's it called? Uh, charity. <laughs> and then uh, further up north, which was another satellite location of Oneida, which uh, actually recruited cultists from other nations like Canada. And, and the UK and, you know, uh, well, it was called England and Canadian and French and Indians where they would collect the foreigners, the Spaniards, you know, they would take them up there. So um, all of these things where they believe that they are the second coming. If you guys remember, I had played a clip and maybe you guys can find it for me, where it was that weird guy, Daniel Bostic, um, B-O-S-T-I-C, and Pard Padres, you know, that wannabe influencer with the pretty mouth. She's like really pretty too. Padres, where they were like talking on a video and they were like, oh my God, like he's like godly. He's like, he's like a god. He, like he showed me his powers and stuff. I played it once. Well, and you know how Ali Akbar says he can feel the earth and he is genetically superior. These are all things that they were taught at this camp right here. Just a weird camp. You know, that's the same type of stuff that they would train, you know, jihadists in Syria with. What peculiarities, if any, were there about the prisoner mentally? Well, excessive egotism was the peculiar characteristic, I think. He was about as egotistical a man as I ever knew. So much so that uh, I think it presented in him a certain mental bias which made him more or less eccentric, different from other men. How was he different from other men mentally? Well, in being so absorbed in himself and having such a high idea of himself as to think he was qualified to be a leader, but having perhaps inferior abilities. <laughs> Charles had never been part of Oneida's communal family. John Humphrey Noyes said that marriage between one man and one woman was idolatrous and unhealthy. Children, who were called stirpicults, were achieved not through marriages, but through selective breeding, or stirpiculture, in order to cultivate a superior race. Many who lived at Oneida found these extended families healthy and liberating. But at this so-called haven of free love, young Charles proved quite unpopular with the ladies. They gave him a nickname, Charles Julius Get Out. Unable to charm them or to talk his way into the stirpiculture program, Guiteau spent most of his time alone in his room with his fantasies. At Oneida, the cure for any behavioral problem, in fact for any disease, physical or mental, was a criticism session. 
Night after night, Guiteau was placed in the center of this room and told that he was egotistical and conceited. He was forced to confront his addiction to masturbation, which was believed to be a cause of insanity. Well, actually, there's research showing that people that have a problem with, you know, vagina and like hookers, strippers, bars, burlesque shit, you know, are more prone to insanity. It's it's 100% true, especially sex addicts, right? Or people that, you know, masturbate a lot, right? It's because they're relieving energy. So um, it's so crazy, right? Because it is actual effect. It's an actual fact that people that, you know, are susceptible to, to stuff like that, um, are indeed more prone to commit crimes. After six years of this criticism, Charles left the community. He said the decision to leave was not his own, but God's. That was the first incidence of Guiteau's recurring belief that the Lord had chosen him for some purpose, a belief that he was anxious to convey in court. I wrote this letter to my father uh, from Oneida in, in about 1863, and it's a good example of the way my mind was running. However presumptuous it may seem, I am nevertheless constrained to confess the truth about myself. Therefore, I say boldly that I claim inspiration. I claim that I am in the employ of Jesus Christ and company, the very ablest and strongest firm in the universe, and that what I can do is limited only by their power and, and purpose. I have very little confidence in the flesh, but a great deal in the power and purpose of God, and I know that he will give me the requisite energy and ability to do my work well. I think I remember one editorial referring to him as a trained monkey. I mean, there was this kind of lunatic acting out in which he loved being the protagonist. All his life, he'd wanted to be the protagonist. And here he was. All of the newspapers he admired most, the Tribune and the Herald in New York, the Washington Post, uh, wrote about him. Yeah, because you know what? For years he had been saying, right, how, you know, he's the, the solution to all of America's problems. He's got the answer and all he wanted was media to cover his story. And they wouldn't. And so what he did was he loved it. He would go into these rages and talk and say things that were really not true. And then he would admit, yes, yes, I, I killed him because I had to. And, and damn, I'm running over again. I wanted you to, um, uh, listen to his testimony. Damn it. Let's see. Where does he testify that he did it and why he did it? Hold on. This is after the brain. Yes, biscuit. I hear you. But here, let's just finish this portion of it. Uh, photographers came to take his picture. So that on one level, it was ludicrous that he was taking such pleasure in his position as protagonist. On the other hand, it made people angry with it because they saw him as enjoying it. Although some found Guiteau amusing, there were others 
including acquaintances from his days as a shady lawyer, who insisted that he was not mentally ill at all, but evil. Would you describe for the jury Mr. Charles Guiteau, based upon your dealings with him in the field of law? He has always been a sham and a cheat and a mitigated liar. And at any time did you know him? I would to say this as well. The man has always had an unlimited opinion of himself, constantly conceiving new schemes, and each one of which would be millions of dollars. He has beaten and cheated his way through the world. So basically, this guy had like this grandiose idea that he could solve everybody's problems, right? And that, you know, when he got caught because he was saying all these things and no one would listen to him, even though he was being fanning the flames, right? And he was putting it out there. He suddenly shoots the president because he was that upset, right? That upset that no one would listen. So he would make them listen. And so he did that. And what he did was he did outbursts of that so as a lawyer, he would say, someone's giving me millions of dollars and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. He felt the earth kind of like Ali Akbar, you know, and that's the thing. He is exactly that. This guy right here, the guy that, that, that killed a president was just like that. Insane, but insanity, evil. Remember we talked about those trials, right? What were those trials in England about children that dismembered an, an infant, right? And they couldn't say that they were crazy because they knew that they were dismembering a baby, right? They knew that they were ripping the arm off and killing it, right? They knew. And how does a child at the age of three, four, five, all these kids that came around and dismembered a baby think it's okay when they knew it was dying, they knew it was hurting, and they found pleasure in it? Those that find pleasure in attacking human beings and dismembering them. I want you to look at this because this is very important, not now, but in the future it will be. And you'll say, damn, Tori said that too. So this is the person that actually killed the president because nobody would listen to him. So he shot the president. So people do listen to him. But to the opinion of himself, constantly conceiving new schemes, and each one of which would be millions of dollars. He has beaten and cheated his way through the world, left a trail of defrauded boarding houses and hotels throughout the country. I boarded in first class houses and I had good clothes. I want it impressed upon the public that I knew plenty of good, high-toned men. And I could get all the money that I wanted! If you think about it, he cheated people. The people he cheated are not going to tell you, oh, he was crazy. Obviously, he was crazy. That... Because to say that meant they were perhaps taken in, a little foolish, that they did business with this man, that they didn't recognize his state. They see him as a scoundrel. You do not. 
So what happened was, is that the people that actually were working with this guy that brought him to the White House to be by Garfield, that worked with the, um, you know, law enforcement and the federal authorities, right? That he was working with the military, right? All of these things, um, you know, they had to know something was off with this person, right? Uh, you know, this person, just so you know, he left that Oneida camp and he wasn't a ladies man, but he had married some random person and then charge them with a bill. Kid, kid you not, this is history. You should open up, uh, you know, the Library of Congress and read. So he had a one wife and then, you know, totally got that wife in trouble, tried to run for office and failed. And then he decided he's going to be working for the government and then failed there too, because he wasn't up to scratch or his mood swings were a problem. But then they said, well, not as an official, but we will have you on the side as a consultant. And it was so bizarre because that is how he would go in. And this is the problem that he was upset that, like he said, in screaming, well, I had the best clothes. No, I was at the best hotel because people needed to know that I am the solution to all their problems and I am important. And if you don't listen to what I say, you're all going to fail. You failed already. I can save you. Just invest in my, in my law practice and I will do it for you for a nominal fee. And this is the guy that murdered the president because he got that close. Believe in it. I do not believe in any of those moral insanities. I believe they are simply crimes. You and the savior do not agree on the subject. You better study spiritology and you'll get some new light then. So while he's Dr. on trial, he while he's on trial, he was reading newspapers, ignoring them, and then saying, you know, kind of like, yeah, maybe you should buy my Bible, and it'll tell you everything you need to know. You have stated that you have had experience with the insane covering 30 years and have been a close observer and student of their habits and conversations. I will ask you to state whether, from your examination of the prisoner, you have formed an opinion as to whether he is sane or insane. I did. And will you state what that opinion was? My opinion was that he was sane. And on what basis did you form that opinion? I took into consideration in forming my opinion the fact that he controlled himself as to the time when he should do this act of violence. No. 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 The Lord don't employ a fool to do his work. Please remember that. Which, in the light of my experience with insane persons who have the delusion that they are commanded or inspired by the Almighty, would be entirely inconsistent. I took into consideration also the fact of his providing carefully for his own preservation. I was not going to allow an infuriated mob to destroy me when they had no idea of my motive. In light of my experience with insane persons, there would be no preparation for personal safety and no thought of personal safety. You are talking about cranks. Talk about Abraham and the 38 cases in the Bible. So he was trying to prove to him that he was by God. And what did the psychiatrist said? No, 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 no. 
If you were crazy and you were possessed or you had some, you know, disorder, psychosis, narcissism, post-traumatic stress, whatever, then you wouldn't think of your self-preservation. See, crazy people don't think of self-preservation. Their task, they know exactly what they're doing. Hence why uh, the uh, term insanity during this court hearing was not expanded because you can claim insanity and get away with everything. But when you've calculated your self-preservation, when you've been calculated in your moves and when you do what, when do you start, you know, yelling at your assistant and when do you start saying things about your mother or your friends or your lawyers or start saying things like, oh my gosh, I'm getting millions of dollars from so-and-so because they want to invest in my idea. Like this guy was saying, he was saying that they said that. The fact that they would constantly scheme and scheme and scheme throughout their life, you know, and, and, and not have, you know, something, you know, this guy was alienated from his family. Apparently he bore kids in that, you know, place. None of them wanted to even know, you know, this is the guy was, as the psychiatrist said, was, you know, obviously aware of what he was doing. He knew exactly what he was doing. Now listen to this. Where God Almighty directed people to kill. What is the use of your saying that? You said it so often, we all understand what you claim. Do not interrupt us now. Well, this seems a good deal of foolish talk. No, it does not. Now, under the law, in order to be found guilty of a crime, you have to possess the mens rea or the guilty mind. You have to have a criminal intent. And what he was arguing was that since his behavior was inspired by a higher being, then he lacked the criminal intent to commit the crime. Uh, it was a very interesting argument, one that the court and his own attorney really didn't give much credence to. The disagreement between Guiteau and his lawyer came to a head when Scoville brought in Guiteau's pro-Garfield speech as evidence of insanity. Have you looked over the prisoner's speech, Garfield against Hancock, Mr. Gorham? I have, sir. Would you state your opinion whether there is anything in this speech that would entitle the prisoner to call it a remarkable production in the political campaign. I object. When this speech was first issued, it was uh, given to the leading men of the country, and they thought it was a good speech. I told you here yesterday about this thing. You're trying to make Mr. Gorham say that at the time I wrote that speech, I was a fool. I propose to show that the prisoner never had any reasonable ground, as a sane man would have, to assume that this speech entitled him to apply to the president for any favor or position, whatever. That is false, sir. Ha, huh. he contradicts himself. Nope, nope, my papers are right. And I've been bringing them to you and no one is listening. And don't say that. Don't say that I was crazy when I wrote it. Don't say that I was vindictive. Don't say that I was evil. I wrote that and I know, and that's the story, you see it? This is how the story ends. This is how it 
happens. And, and, and this is the way the story ends and this is the way the story begins. Uh, so this person was an asset, worked with the president, wrote the president's speech, provided documentation of corruption to the president. And then he turned around and killed him because the world would be a better place if the president only listened. I considered the president and those high-toned men my, my friends whenever I, I met them on the street they, they always treated me as a, as a decent person i entirely repudiate you and your entire defense i'd rather be hung as, as a man than acquitted as a fool hang him now hang him. as the trial dragged on through november december and into january the public grew less and less amused with the bizarre behavior this newspaper editorial was typical. The most shameless proceeding disgracing the capital and the nation is the trial of Guiteau. He is as cool a demon as ever lived, and the nation's honor calls for his speedy death. The thousands that daily witness the transfer of Guiteau to and fro from courthouse to jail would, if left alone, end the farce in 20 minutes. There is no doubt he will be found guilty and be hung. And all the people will say, Amen. So that actually happened. They hung him. Because what he was saying is, you guys are just stupid. You're all going to be slaves. You should have listened to me. I had all the goods. This is why I went to the president. This is why they listened to me. And now you're all treating me like I'm the bad one. Everyone else is bad, not me. I killed because it's important. I had to go against the nation and take out the legitimate president, because I'm right, not you. It's done. There are consequences when you elect the wrong people. He said that. In the end, he was hung because all he wanted to do, people were like, he's crazy. No, he's not crazy. He's crazy. He knew what he was doing. But then he actually became crazy. Because think about it. Evil persons, you've seen it. They're insane. They do go crazy they do go crazy. So you have to watch out for those that are screaming like he did everywhere on the, on media, everywhere. Because, you know, those that are addicted to sex, drugs, and rock and roll, there's, you know, a lot of people have sex. Who doesn't like sex? I mean, I, I forgot what that shit is like, but you know, who doesn't? Who doesn't like to smoke a little weed? Who doesn't like to have a bit of a drink? Who doesn't like going out? But when you do a lot of it, well, then that's a, that's a really big problem. You know, it's a big problem. You know, if you're out having sex with random people, it's a big problem when you're just getting high all day, you know, those people with the coke, you know, their nose like totally gone. Right. Uh, the, 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 there's a big problem when you drink too much. There's a big problem. If you smoke too much, there's a big problem for everything everything in moderation. So this is where the insanity kicks in because of the dependencies on those crutches to make yourself feel better because you know you're not a really good person. So it's like an internal battle with your own internal demons. And this case was one of the most important cases. I mean, that case, I think it was referenced at one of the, one of the trials they had. I think it was it in Texas, the mercy killing where he like sliced, killed his daughter or something because she brought shame to the family or something. These are really important cases. And now, as we can see with the full insanity going ugh, 
around the nation right now with uh, um, <laughs> the double speak that they have, you know, the ramping up of, you know, this is what's really happening. Let's tell you how bad, you know, this is happening. Right. Everything is on the table and they will stop at nothing, even though they know that nothing can stop what's coming. And that's what's sad. They already know they got problems, but for some reason they insist. They really, really, really insist. So weird. But as many people think that, oh, all hope is lost. You know, there was, I was very impressed with the um, anti-vax mandates that it was allowed to occur. And the question is, you know, why was it allowed to occur now and not before? Why wasn't it infiltrated now? And it was before. Where were all the feds to set it up? Where are all the news giving you the outrage of what's happening now? Right Now they're outraged. They weren't outraged before, but they're outraged now as to what's happening. You should always ask yourself, wait a minute. If I knew this over a year ago, if I knew this over two years ago, if I knew this three, four years ago, because you have, you've been reading up, then why now? Because a lot of their operations failed. A lot of their operations failed. They um, tried to keep you asleep with half-truths. Oh, they're all hung. Oh, they're all going to jail. <laughs> and there's like 2% truth right now into that. Oh, you know, Desara is like the best thing and Desara is the best. And it's like crypto market just tanked and they're trying to take over that too. The IRS is already in your bank account for over $600. How great is that global reset now? <laughs> but not only were they telling you this and feeding you this as if it's something good, they were encouraging it when the crypto market was actually the independent market where they couldn't regulate it and they didn't like it. They're telling you who is evil and who isn't. They urged a bunch of people that were vulnerable, that were angered. And it seemed like Woodstock and Chaz. And then the fiery burning and shootings in Minnesota was just a party. It's like free shit at Target. Let's go. You know, and nobody got in trouble. And then burning of churches, taking over the streets. If you don't have a Black Lives Matter on your storefront, we will break it. Bend the knee, bitches. And then we have the right. That damn right. Why are they not asking for war? They're the ones with the guns. They should be out on the street shooting right now. We need to do more. We locked them in their houses. They took a beating. We, we're telling them all this bullshit, wear a mask, don't wear a mask, take one shot, two shots, two shots, become a drug addict for Pfizer, and they're still not breaking down our doors and shooting us up. Why aren't they provoking war? We need war. We need war. None of them are stupid enough to go to these federally organized things. We can't even get assets to do their job right. Even the washed up ones can't even nail the only ones that are going to take us down. Why is this happening? We need to step it up a bit. And if you think that's a joke, the left is doing exactly that. They are literally promoting the death and the push. Pick up a weapon. Get involved. Since the right's not doing it, you do it. <laughs> you think I'm joking? That literally happened on TV. So the 
aren't I glad that we were giving them the lawfare of their life? If I sat there and just listened to all these red stringers, right? And all these crazy people, they're like, all of these people are evil. They're all taking you down. They're, they're working for the other side. It's so, they're this, they're that. Then you would have been out on the streets. You would have already been rounded up. You might not be here today. So two years, for those of you who have uh, pushed forward and, and, and did your part as an active citizen, uh, turned up to your school board meetings, filed your lawsuits, took it on the chin, bent down <laughs> so reluctantly, right? We did, reluctantly. Congratulations. 1% came through. But I'm going to tell you this now. I told you that 2022 is coming in with, with serious death. The next 8 to 12 weeks are the most important weeks we have. And you can either listen to that carefully and understand what I'm trying to tell you or take it as a joke. These people are not going to stop. Remember, I think Kamala said that. Let me play that for you. I think I have it here, don't I? No, I don't. Gosh darn it, I took it off of this one. I don't have that clip available. It's on my hard drive. But what I do have is a clip that I want to show you where they literally told people to pick up a weapon. Since the right isn't doing it, let's get the left to kick it off. You think I was joking when I was telling you, do not go to the protest. You think I was joking when I was telling you, do not follow anyone that promotes violence. You think I was joking that they've planned this all along. You're wrong. This has been long standing, very long standing. That's a commercial and I will not show it either. That's MSNBC for you. They're broke. They're going to do whatever they can. Skip ad. Here we go. You know, one of the things that I think we're really not talking about, and I think you started to touch on it for a quick second, was the role that black women play in democracy. When you think about Georgia, you can't think about Georgia without thinking about Latasha and without thinking about Stacey. And when you look at the fact that the one prosecutor that's going family uh, is a black woman in Georgia. When you look at who's going after that family in New York, it's a black woman, right? And so there's a bigger story that I think is brewing, and that is that black women have consistently fought for our democracy on every single level, whether it was in the- Wow, if I was a black woman, I'd be very upset right now. So you're saying black women are the ones that are committing treason in our nation. You're saying that black women are the ones that should be pursuing President Trump, right? It was Letitia that ran, I'm going to get Trump, right? And we've got Stacey Abrams. <laughs> the next few weeks is really scary. You better stand fast and hold the line. Do not move. No matter what you hear or see, do not move. If they come to you for recruitment, do not move. You just keep filing those FOIAs, baby. And we will make sure with our prayers that it happens the right way. Black women really leading it. Streets, whether it was in the halls of capitals, whether they're state capitals, 
or the U.S. Capitol or even as it relates to being able to prosecute. And I think that black women will continue to fight for our democracy. And that's exactly what I plan to do. I don't plan to give up. You know, I know that I wouldn't be here, but for those that fought before me. And so I'm going to continue this fight. We can't let up. If we say we've been defeated, then they have won. But this is a, a war. This isn't a battle. And we absolutely will win this war. It is a war. It is indeed a war. And I have to say, they have won some battles, Jasmine, but we, we have to keep our eye uh, on the war and, and everybody needs to pick up a weapon and, and get involved because this is uh, for the, the, the safety and, and lasting uh, of the country. Did she just say pick up a weapon? This is war. Did you hear that? Huh. But, you know, conspiracy theories. All you need to do is pray. And what's the most important weapon you have? That's right. It's your pen. Use it. It's your voice. Use it. I highly suggest making a shit ton of federal records of it. Use it. Because they're coming in with the big guns. I'll see you guys tomorrow. God bless. Years from now, some of them may look back and ask themselves whether they've made the right choice, whether they've made the most of the opportunities they've been given. Together, we have the same mission. Over the course of your life, you will find that things are not always fair. You will find that things happen to you that you do not deserve and that are not always warranted. But you have to put your head down and fight fight, fight. Never, ever, ever give up. Don't give in. Don't back down. And never stop doing what you know is right. Nothing worth doing ever, ever, ever came easy. And the more righteous your fight, the more opposition that you will face. In your hearts are inscribed the values of service, sacrifice, and devotion. Now you must go forth into the world and turn your hopes and dreams into action. America has always been the land of dreams because America is a nation of true believers. When the pilgrims landed at Plymouth, they prayed. When the founders wrote the Declaration of Independence, they invoked our creator four times. Because in America, we don't worship government, we worship God. It is why our currency proudly declares, in God we trust. And it's why we proudly proclaim that we are one nation under God. The story of America is the story of an adventure that began with deep faith, big dreams, and humble beginnings. the next generation of American leaders. Never, ever give up. There'll be times in your life you'll want to quit. Never quit. Never stop fighting for what you believe in and for the people who care about you. Carry yourself with dignity and pride. Demand the best from yourself. The more people tell you it's not possible, that it can't be done, the more you should be absolutely determined 
to prove them wrong. Treat the word impossible as nothing more than motivation. Relish the opportunity to be an outsider. The more that a broken system tells you that you're wrong, the more certain you should be that you must keep pushing ahead. You must keep pushing forward. And always have the courage to be yourself. America is better when people put their faith into action. Pray to God and follow his teachings. Today, each of you begins a new chapter as well. When your story goes from here, it will be defined by your vision, your perseverance, and your grit. You will build a future where we have the courage to chase our dreams no matter what the cynics and the doubters have to say. You will have the confidence to speak the hopes in your hearts and to express the love that stirs your souls. As long as you have pride in your beliefs, courage in your convictions, and faith in God, then you will not fail. As long as America remains true to its values, loyal to its citizens, and devoted to its creator, then our best days are yet to come. May God bless the class of 2017. May God bless the United States of America. And I just want to let you know that God blesses you.